The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. I like that explosion. That explosion's been with us for a while now. <laughs> and and uh, we always manage to walk away while putting on our shades, looking cool. Do you ever, Not do you ever, looking back at the explosion. I, should we look back at the explosion? Is it is it rude that we've never actually seen the explosion? No, no. They, 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 they're very modest. Okay. They, they want their privacy. That's why you walk away. That would ruin the magic. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I understand. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I am a film critic. I don't have a cute nickname, but uh, my scintillating and intelligent... Intelligent co-host certainly does. Yeah, you can't say, you can't say intelligent with a straight face, can you? My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing a bunch of movies. Uh, well, we're reviewing them, some movies. Well, four is a fair amount of movies. Okay. I think. Like, we, don't, we don't always have to do like eight movies. We don't always have to... Like what? What kind of like special achievement award are we going for? I'm, like, I'm not sure. You just put it on a piece of paper at the end of the year. I some suppose. people only have time for like... Like three movies a week. Like, <laughs> well, last week was heavy. I think I saw eight films last week, which is uh, which is unusual. Well, we've had we've had a couple of like really crazy weird weeks in September. Uh, a couple of our podcasts are are late. We're aware of it. We've had some stuff going on at home and everything like that. Everything's fine, but uh, there have been some delays. We're not happy about it either. We're getting back on track this week. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, if you're anyone's interested, we do have a new commentary track up on the Patreon page. We sure do. Yeah, this is a good. And I actually really like how it came out. Uh, we do a full commentary track for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. So that's over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. It's exclusive for our subscribers. Um, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. And of course, we have a whole bunch of other cool stuff there as well. But let's uh, let's talk about the new releases. Uh, the new releases we're reviewing are Cuties, The Social Dilemma, Hashtag Alive and Unpregnant. And this week on the critically acclaimed streaming club, which is also decided via our Patreon page. Every week we do a poll to decide an older movie that one or both of us haven't seen before. And uh, take the opportunity to catch up with it or watch it for the first time and explore uh, some cinema we might not otherwise have been able to make the time for because of COVID. And uh, this week, the uh, category, I think, was Family Films on Netflix. It was. The, the pla- we try to do a different platform every mm-hmm. week, and the platform this week was Netflix. We rotated back through. And yeah, it was Family Films. Yeah. And uh, so we'll be talking about Don Bluth's animated classic, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Did you just call him Dog Bluth? I swear you just called him Dog Bluth. <laughs> I did. That's amazing. Don Bluth. Don Bluth. Okay. He's probably best known as the director of The Secret of Nim, uh, An American Tale, and The Land Tit- Before Time. Titan A.E. A, a, a lot of well-regarded animated films. And a few less well-regarded ones, but All Dogs Go to Heaven is one of the better uh, regarded ones. It's also very odd. So uh, we're going to talk about this incredibly strange, fascinating, and actually kind of tragic film. Uh, in the second half of the podcast, so stick it, around for that. It is called All, Do- All Dogs Go to Heaven, so I'm guessing there's a dead dog at some point. You, 
You haven't watched it yet? No, Should I we pause it? it? No, or, that's okay. it. I was actually speaking of some behind the scenes yeah. stuff that happened that was really, really sad. But oh, we'll talk right. about that as well. It's it's a fascinating and, and not a very happy story behind that film. But uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, speaking of weird stories, mm-hmm. uh, let's let's delve right in. Uh, we're actually in an unusual week. We uh, This is one of those weeks where neither of us saw the same film. Except for All Dogs Go to Heaven, of course. Uh, so Whitney will be reviewing three films. I will be reviewing one film. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, the first one we're going to talk about is a film called Cuties, which is debuting on Netflix. Yeah, uh, Cuties is a, a film from, uh, I'm going to mangle her name, uh, Maimouna Ducouré. She's a French Senegalese film, film director, and this is her feature film debut. And it's a story of an 11-year-old girl named Amy who uh, is living with some very strict Senegalese parents. Mm. But when she goes to school, she finds a lot of solace in uh, some of the, I guess, I guess they're kind of the mean girls of the school. Mm. Uh, they're very fashion-obsessed, They're very, and they're uh, completely obsessed with joining uh, essentially a dance crew. And they start choreographing their own dance numbers, and these are like really fashion forward and very hypersexualized dances. So she is uh, kind of sneaking off and getting all of this influence. This uh, Amy character is getting all of these influences from her peers as to how she's starting to come into her own uh, as, as a woman, but it's all very bad advice. Mm. Uh, call it toxic femininity, if you will. And yeah, it's uh, cautionary. Too. Yeah. And, and there's, yeah. there's a lot of fighting and sniping and pounding, you know, pounding of fists on each other between the, these girls. They're ostensibly friends, but they treat each other very badly. Yeah. And, uh, she is trying to take the lessons she's learning from these, uh, like really kind of MTV booty shaking kind of videos that these girls are drawing inspiration from mm. and trying to apply it to real life and realizing that in taking these lessons of over sexualization, she's kind of hurting herself and the people around her. Uh, and it's, it's, a. Uh, She's learning a lot of very hard lessons as she grows up and not getting a lot of understanding from her parents or from her friends, and she feels really ripped apart. It's a, it's a very effective drama, and I think it's a very frank drama. Uh, from what I understand, the filmmaker is telling a vaguely autobiographical story as well oh. about uh, being, uh, being the, uh, the child of Senegalese immigrants and how the experience of her as a child of immigrants is putting her on the outside no matter where she is. Mm. And she's unable to find a key in. And when she thinks she does find this key in, it turns out it's this really unsavory thing. But since she's only 11, she's not quite sophisticated enough to understand what's going on. Right. Um, it's quite good. Okay. I think it's, it's really uh, frankly directed. I think it's really uh, emotionally honest about these experiences that this young girl is having. It's uh, sort of like a really hard-edged Judy Bloom story. I've heard it. Pretty, yeah. I think I think it was Drew McQueeny who compared it to Judy Bloom as oh, well. Oh, yeah. well, um, that I'm I'm glad. I think like Drew McQueeny because yeah. he's a very good very good writer. He is. He is. Um, no, I'm just I, I I you know sometimes you just remember someone said mm-hmm. something and sometimes you actually remember who said it and you can actually oh, yeah. attribute that. Okay, well, so I just want to do tribute to him because okay. I could. But uh, j- well, you know, just because Drew McQueeny and I when, have, have see inflections of Judy Bloom in here. Well, also also recognizing in influence or at the very least corollaries to another work of art mm. if it's a reasonable observation there's a decent chance someone else will make that observation yeah. right let's be like saying like, oh this right. movie's kind of like john carpenter's halloween 
Probably not the first person to say that about Friday the 13th. I remember when when, uh, when you and I walked out of seeing a screening of Men, Women, and Children, the Jason Reitman film. Oh, uh, that, that, okay. It's really awful. And uh, we were oh. talking to Dave White, a very good critic who is a friend of ours. Uh, and he said, okay, how do you... And he actually sort of like put this to us. How do you write about this movie and not mention that it's really very much like American Beauty? Because all of the critics are going to make that yeah. parallel. So do you mention that or do you try to find another angle right uh and you know that these are the dilemmas we face as critics mm-hmm. um uh, but i i've i yeah i really liked cuties it's it's really um i said it was very frank and because of its frankness and because it's about young girls and uh like sexuality it's been getting a lot of negative attention from people who haven't seen the goddamn thing. Well, I think a lot of people are, uh, are responding to the marketing, which actually I never saw, but yeah, I never, my understanding it was mismarketed yeah, as they something were, that it was not. Uh, they, well, they were taking a lot of stills of like the, the dance acts, and the dance acts are very uh, lurid, these, these kind of lurid uh, dance acts that these 11-year-old girls are dancing in, and some marketing genius decided to... Uh, use those images as the the selling point. And it's like, no, that that's actually the whole point of the movie is how that's really unhealthy. And it's actually aversely affecting these girls, these young girls. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't really get to see a lot of the marketing. I can say that if that was their angle, that's bad marketing. Yeah, yeah. And you can criticize the marketing all you like. Sure. Yeah, well, they mismarketed it. That, that happens a lot with movies. That's one of the jobs of uh, a critic is to divorce a film from yeah. the marketing because we've all seen good and bad examples of films not being represented well by their marketing. Exactly. Like the marketing made it look bad yeah, or like but, a different genre or made it look better than it was. It can do that too. But a, a lot of like politicians have spoken out about you know boycott Netflix because they're they first of all they didn't make the movie they didn't finance the movie it's it's a French movie yeah uh, they're they distribu- didn't choose to acquire it that, but, yeah that they, they acquired yeah. it for for distribution in the states yeah. they, you know that uh, uh, but yeah Ted Cruz who who's yeah. one of the people who's saying you know boycott Netflix because they're showing something like cuties Ted Cruz is who's uh, right about so many yeah things. who's who's always really on the ball what what mm. a what a, a stellar mind he is mm. sarcasm uh. He's kind of banking on this weird, uh, like, QAnon-ready hysteria about uh, human trafficking and the sexualization of young girls to uh, kind of rile up uh, a certain segment of his followers, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that... We've seen this a lot. We've seen people try to rile up Mm. followers over media... Yeah, anything yeah. in the media. Oh, this, you know, the Elvis is, you know, too much for our youngsters <laughs> to handle. Uh-huh. You could see his hips in a video. Run, like, and I, I, and of course, not all of these things are the same. But I, I'm always a little, little. Yeah, well, hysteria the, the, is the, called hysteria for a reason. The I problem think. is when it comes to boycotts of films like these. You think of something like Dogma, or going all the way back to something like The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, these are always protested by people who a haven't seen the movie yet, mm. so they can't really co- protest a lot of the core concepts in the film. Cuties is actually not about what that poster said it's about, mm. uh, and they're not really doing anything. To affect change, are they? A protest of cuties isn't helping out you know, the crime of, of sex trafficking, which is a real crime and it's a problem. And But protesting cuties isn't the way to solve that problem. Mm. 
all it is is feeding into this uh, right-wing myth, this extreme right-wing QAnon-type myth that people in show business are somehow wrapped up in these big sex trafficking scandals. Oh yeah, that, uh, that, we've that's, all that's heard that's these part weird of the yeah, that's the stories. that's the conspiracy theory. Some weird. Just stories. just look up the history of Pizzagate. Yeah. I don't need to say any more. Yeah, it's um, not to say that horrible things haven't happened yeah, no. in Hollywood, but some of those stories are just on the face of it absurd. Yeah, like, yeah. that's not even. How is that so? Thing? I, so yeah the, yeah, the the protests over cuties are this right this fringe fantasy that yeah. have nothing to do with what's actually in the movie. I think the film is actually uh, incredibly responsible in the way it uh, looks at the lives of eleven year olds and how they live in a world where they are told constantly by the popular media around them that they need to be more sexual, even though they're just 11 years old. And there are other films that have tackled this. And again, I didn't see this movie, yeah. so I, I cannot speak to it directly. Uh, but there are other films that have tackled this. Uh, Catherine Hardwick's 13 yeah, yeah, was about although, a 13-year-old uh, uh, a woman played by uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Not woman. She's a woman now. But like, you know, a 13-year-old played by Evan Rachel Wood, who is also like in a civilization and mm. a society that no. tells her to wear certain things. And, and then mm. that's also a cautionary tale. It's also about all that's well, the, potentially very negative. The 13 is, is way more of like a JD scare film from the fifties. Uh, true. Yeah, and, and true. It, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying this exists. You know, yeah. It, 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 it exists. This, this one's a, a, a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more perspective. Okay. Uh, Cause 13 was written by a young person and they're yeah. just sort of telling you a little bit about this, weird hypersexualized miasma they found themselves suddenly inside of mm. uh cuties is looking at it from a, a little bit of the outside and how it can feel really liberating to feel kind of grown up but at the same time they're taking a lot of really unsavory messages and there's not a parental presence there to talk to them about it and really put all of that into a wider perspective so they know what kind of messages they're getting mm-hmm. And, and how that can really hurt. And when you are the child of immigrants of a very, very conservative family yeah. who wouldn't, you know, who, who is actually, there's a scene in the movie where uh, Amy, the main character, is taken into the kitchen and says, today you're going to learn how to bake for your husband. She's 11. So that yeah. that's what they're preparing her for. She's 11 years yeah. old, but you got to know how to cook for your husband. Yeah. Because that's the kind of society her, her parents grew up with. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, 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 no, it makes sense. So yeah, her her mom is so exhausted. There's a, this really tragic scene where her mom is putting dinner on the table for her and her little brother, and she just passes out on the floor because she's exhausted. Yeah. Uh, oh, and something, another uh, fun element of this movie is there's these kind of pressures and these specters and these ideas sort of floating around her, and in these weird, tiny moments of magical realism, okay. we see these ghostly figures appearing in her apartment. There's one scene where she huh. turns around and she sees this sheeted figure. It's not like Halloween ghost, but it's like somebody who's like mummified in sheets. Okay. Just sort of standing in the hallway. And she just sort of looks at it and then walks away. And you realize this is this weird kind of supernatural thing, this oh. absence in her life. And her okay. father is absent from the household. So it could be that these specters of her encroaching womanhood and the absence of her father are now manifesting in these symbols. There's a, a scene so where she... So it's never, like, directly addressed. No, so, no, no. Okay. And, and, I, and I, th- I think it's actually a lot more effective that mm. way. It's not like an actual supernatural thing. Yeah. It's, uh, like, that, it's like that shot with the chair mm. in Tree of Life. The shot with the chair in Tree of Life, the moving statue in Fanny and Alexander. Yeah. yeah, where it's it's like that's just 
sometimes, especially when you're younger, your mind manifests not just your anxieties, just everything. Yeah. In these things that you know couldn't possibly be true, but you have very sharp memories of. Yeah. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. I have a very distinct memory. I, I grew up in a sta- uh, house with a stairwell, mm. like a staircase. And I have a very distinct memory of walking halfway down the staircase, being a good deal uh, of distance down to the floor and jumping off of the step and very gently gliding through the air down to the floor. <laughs> like I flew in my mind. That was completely real. That's Couldn't possibly is, be, but that's yeah. a memory I have. That's a, that's a, that's a daydream you had mm. or a dream you had yeah, or a yeah. fantasy you had. And it just became so vivid that it's just in there with all the other. Yeah. It's, actual it's, it feels like a real or, memory. Uh huh. It actually happened. Or maybe I floated. And like, who knows? Who's to say? There's magic in the world. Why not? Uh, is there magic but, in the world of social media? No. <laughs> uh, the Social Dilemma is a, is a scare film par excellence. Okay. Uh, this is a documentary film uh, where the filmmakers have gathered up a lot of the people who work in uh, the social media sites you use, like Facebook and Twitter, and have interviewed them about how social media... It has and is ruining the world. Mm. Uh, the the person who uh, pioneered the like button on Facebook mm. said, oh, like, that's spreading positivity. Mm-hmm. I, your friend said something, you hit a little button, you don't have to leave a comment, you just hit a little thumbs up. Yeah. Like that. positive way to interact with the community. They didn't realize at the time that people would start putting so much social cachet yeah. in what is spread on social media. Yeah, it's weird. And because, and they all point this out, because all of these social media sites are run on a business model, it's about driving clicks, mm-hmm. that they begin to, uh, they plugged in a lot of AI into these systems to figure out where people are looking, what they're clicking on, what they're saying. The AI can read all of that and determine other things that they might be interested in. Yeah. We all know this. This is all, in fact, that's every, standard operating practice. In now. fact, yeah. there's no new information in the, in the social dilemma. And that's, that's one of the frustrating things about it. But uh, because uh, everybody is now being driven toward the things they're going to click on, they're not getting sort of a warped view of reality. They're getting uh, only things that they might be interested in, in deference to everything else, and no other information is making their way to their eyes. Yeah, until you're and putting now, blinders on. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden you believe that the world is a certain way, and in fact that bleeds into other sites. Uh, I would like anybody who's listening right now to do this little experiment. Go to Google or your favorite search engine and type in something that's really kind of uh, like a hot button issue, like climate change. Type in climate change is... And see what your auto prompts are. I'm going to do this. Right Ch- yeah, now. chances are they probably probably will line up with your view of the world. Climate change is uh-huh. Quizlet. What? I don't know. Climate change is nothing to worry about. That is Ooh, not my view right. of the world. Climate change is evidenced by which of the following Quizlet. What is a Quizlet? I'm not exactly sure. Is what? that like a Quiznos? Is that like a really small did, Quiznos, like just on the corner? Did we just learn something about your, your bizarre I search history? I have to look up <laughs> what a Quizlet is. Climate change is real shirt. Climate change is real. Okay, I want a climate change is real shirt. All yeah. Right. Do you buy shirts? <laughs> climate change is evidenced by which of the following features. Okay, that's an mm. actual thing. Climate change is causing... Yeah, I don't know if maybe... I don't, All right. Maybe my computer is just weird. Maybe so, but what you're seeing there is based on things yeah. that you've plugged into social media. Is I've my never point. written uh, the word Quizlet in my life. What is a Quizlet? <laughs> just look up... Quizlet qu- definition. Quizlet is... 
I know what a Quizlet American is. American online study applications that allow students to study science. Okay, so it's like a science okay. learning tool. All right. I, I'm not taking any so science you're, classes. So you're, you, you look up a lot of facts online. I guess. Maybe, maybe you appear to be a student to these people. I, I guess. Um, but... Uh, because Quizlet. because of these sort of false worlds, and because we are essentially lying online, that's that's the weird thing they they pointed out about social media is you're constructing a false self when you go online. Yeah, it could be kind of true to who you are, but the things you choose to express kind of alter your view of you. So whenever you're interact, it's the only they point out that it's this weird medium where you're expected. Uh, to lie, you're expected mm. to present a false version of yourself online. Now, I'll, I, I run into I'll, weird things though, where I'm like, I'll like look up something for one reason, and mm. now all of a sudden I'm in it. Like, I'll buy mm. something for like a birthday present, and I have no interest in this actual thing, but it's for someone else, and now I'm inundated with that crap. Or yeah. I'll read like a CNN story or a, or a BBC story yeah. about. Something Trump, and um, then all of a sudden I get a whole bunch of recommendations for Fox News. Yeah, and I'm like, no. Yeah, and 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 we, we've all seen this happening. I think we we're all savvy enough yeah. to know that this is what's been going on. And yeah. of course, this is actually a good double feature with uh, Feels Good Man, which I talked about last week oh, yeah. about how these online memes and all of this nihilism kind of bled out into the real world and might have had a big part of why Trump became so popular as a candidate. And uh, a lot of these conspiracy theories and lies and falsehoods are are spread a lot more quickly throughout these social media sites. And because they're all business-oriented, the businesses have no motivation to stop any of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's true or if it's false. I think mm-hmm. they – and you, you hear interviews with Mark Zuckerberg and it's really frustrating because he doesn't seem to really – acknowledge how big his business really is. There's this weird um, thing that I've noticed, and I've noticed mm-hmm. this in, even on like websites that I've worked for. There's a thing called search engine optimization. Yeah. SEO for short. And the whole thing mm-hmm. with search engine you, optimization. You look up on LinkedIn, there are people who are experts on Oh, that, yeah. yeah. And, and because it's actually a really driving force mm-hmm. in how people decide what to click on. And as so when you're writing an article, you want to make sure you use words or phrases mm-hmm. if you're on a site that really cares about this sort of thing uh, that reflect what people are currently looking for. Right. So people are looking for all this kinds of stuff about, mm-hmm. I don't know, Tenet, mm-hmm. the movie. And so you'd have to put certain words and phrases yeah. in like the headline of your yeah, article. So, so, that, so you're trying to make sure that when people look, when people just Google Tenet, mm-hmm. you will be one of the first things that comes up. Because if you're the 500th thing that comes up, mm. people aren't likely to find that, are they? They're not going to go through that many Google pages mm. to find your thing. And on one hand, that makes sense. Problem is, you're constantly chasing what people are already looking for, and that's mm. not actually conducive to introducing new things into the lexicon. Mm. That's not in, that's not conducive to talking about things that are relevant that aren't already popular to talk about. And then everything gets kind of weirdly laser focused. And now every website only talks about the same five franchises because mm. that's what has SEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucks. It sucks. It's not the um, way it should work. It's a bad system. And yeah. we're but everyone's like, well, that's the way it works. And I'm like, but it, it doesn't have to work that it way. Yeah. Just got made up. Mm. This stuff didn't exist 20 years ago. Not in this form. Yeah. So we could just 
unmake it yeah. and do it in a way that doesn't suck. Yeah. And it was so, right But, you know, we're still living in this world of data mining and uh, yeah. that they, they use the phrase surveillance capitalism in, in the movie. Uh, and how, and this is a statistic that I already knew, but they repeated in the movie is how um, levels of depression among adolescents mm-hmm. shot way up. Yeah. Uh, right around the time social media was taking off. Like, like, Living within a social structure was hard enough when it was just a couple hundred people at your high school. Yeah. Now you're in front of the world, mm. going through an awkward stage yeah. when you're really insecure and not sure like who you're growing up to be, and everyone's judging you really hard. Mm. Of course, it would that would have that effect. That sucks. Again, all the social media shit. It's not as old as Pokemon. <laughs> I looked this up. Like, what's older? Social media as we know it today or Pokemon? Yeah. Pokemon is older. We don't have to do this to yes. us. Now, so, so uh, the documentary. Let's talk about the actual documentary. Okay, the actual, as a film. The as actual, a film. As a film, the, all of that information and all of the, the philosophizing and all of the people they actually talk to, the talking heads, are really, really interesting. Uh, the problem is there's also an entire slew of really corny straight out of a Jack T. Chick comic reenactments with professional actors of like a family sitting around their table talking about how they're, they're on their phones too much. And I got to lock up your phone. Don't do that. No, but there it's, there's like whole enacted scenes. It's not just like them wandering around. They're, they're talking to each other. They're actually enacting it out. Um, uh, Oh, oh, um, what's her name from, uh, she was in to the stars. She was in moonrise kingdom. Uh, oh, oh, oh! I can't remember is, her name is, for some reason. Hold on, I'll, I'll look it up. I, uh, Kara uh, Hayward is her Kara name. Kara Hayward, uh, yeah. Kara Hayward is in it. She plays uh, oh. the young sister, and there's like the this um, uh, like the, the protagonist is this teen boy who's having trouble giving up uh, social media, and so he like he locks up his phone. His mom says, "I'll go buy you a new phone if you can go without a week." And of course, he can't do it, and he fails, and he drops out of sports because he's too busy on his phone. Meanwhile, and this is even stupider, oh, no. we cut to Vincent Carthizer oh. from, from In Time and some TV. Uh, yeah, you may have heard him from a show that rhymes with Bladland. <laughs> uh, I think a match might have actually we, said that in such a way that no one would realize he was on Mad. He was on Mad yeah, Men, yeah, yeah. and uh, he. Uh, <laughs> He play, he plays three different characters who are essentially like the master control program who is talking about, yes, what can we do to get him to keep on clicking? Well, let's see, he hasn't talked about his ex-girlfriend and, he, oh no, we're losing engagement, so if he push these things in here, he'll click more, like in this really sinister sort of way. And then we see like how they it have sounds like they a have, fake like, a, movie about almost, that. and they have this like model of him trapped in a bubble inside this computer simulation, which is supposedly the, what's going on inside his phone, like in the emoji movie. All of it's... all of that shit is is terrible, and sounds this is it. and it's all constructed in this very kind of hand wringing scare film sort of way. It does feel like they're trying to, to terrify you and confirm all of the fears that you've had and especially confirm parents, the fears they have about what their kids are doing online. Uh, And all that stuff sucks, but the conversation they're having is one that we need to hear. And it's actually very immediate and it is very distressing and it might make you think a little bit about what you do with your phone and what you're doing online and what kind of information you might be getting. Have we had, and I know people will point to the social network, Mm. but I think that's going after something different. Hmm. Have we had a good film about the the downside of social media that wasn't either mm. 
uh, like schlocky horror movie, like Unfriended, mm-hmm. or like a really <coughs> excuse me trite melodrama like Men, Women, and Children. No, well, I, I haven't seen it, but I heard Ingrid Goes West uh, dealt, oh, dealt with that in a really heard, important way. I heard that was good too. I haven't seen that. Uh, but yeah, there hasn't been a really good drama about it because uh, fear of tech is seen seen as really kind of gauche and luddite ish. If you fear your phone and you don't want to get on social media, you're seen as but, kind but of a hipster. But that's everything. That's everywhere. We've had so yeah. many... Hor- Pulse was about that like 20 years ago. Like, yeah. The idea of new technology is frightening mm. is something that we have been playing with since practically the dawn of the horror mm. genre. Like that's mm. not that weird. Yeah. Like there's a really great movie. It's mm. hard. It's a little hard to find. I think it might... It might Actually, only like be available on like YouTube or whatever because yeah. it's not. I don't think it's ever had a proper release. Yeah. But from the 1950s, called the Twonky. <laughs> I haven't seen the Twonky. The Twonky yeah. is amazing, and I love the Twonky. It stars um oh who's the guy who was the voice of Hook in Peter Pan? This oh, uh, Peter Pan. Uh, Paul Hunt. Paul, Paul Heinrich. Heinrich. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he uh, he's he's a he he's a teacher and his wife like goes out of town for a week to visit her mother mm. and to keep him company she buys him a new television which he doesn't want and the new television is not just a new television it actually like shoots lasers out the front of it to like redecorate the house and it walks around on on its four legs and starts hypnotizing teenagers <laughs> into like just sort of conforming and being good mm. kids and it's just this very mm. obvious story about how oh TV is scary. We're introducing this new technology into our houses, and it's telling us how to live, and it's, you know, brainwashing us. And I mean, they weren't wrong. Mm. <laughs> Let's just be fair. But um, it's it's that one is actually like funny. Like they actually knew what they were doing, and it's really good. Actually, I wish more people had seen it. But we've had this kind of scare tactic movie about every new technology. Yeah. And a video drone is about fucking Betamax. Like if you really want to well, look it's, at it's it. It's about violent television, but yeah, right. it's about the consumption but, of violent media. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I think because uh, tech really kind of shot forward in uh, just ease of consumption at some point that the idea of buying a really common consumer product mm-hmm. seemed a really gauche thing to attack. Uh, and this is something they also point out in this documentary, is that uh, more than ever before, like computers are advancing faster than human beings can catch up with them. Yeah. So we're essentially trapped. They know how to addict us. It's hard to put your phone down. It is. And it's designed to be that way. I had to take social media off of my phone this summer. I found myself... Yeah. Um, just sort of incessantly looking well, at it. Th- there's actually like a you're term bored for it. and your hand reaches over to your telephone. There's a term for it. They call it doom scrolling, where like oh, everything just seems so bad that you're just scanning Twitter for the next thing that's going to ruin your day, mm. and you feel like if you don't know what's going to ruin your day, it's just going to come around the corner and hit you anyway. So you yeah. might as well look. And and it wasn't bringing me any happiness. So I'm still mm. on social media. I'll look at it when I'm on my computer, but I don't look at it when I'm just out. Not that I'm out very often, but when I'm like mm. in the living room, like I'm not looking. At my phone, and it's yeah. brought me so much more peace. <laughs> like I'm still stressed out and anxious and depressed, and the world is literally on fire right now. Mm. But at least I'm not as depressed as I was four months ago. No, there you and go. so it has helped. Yeah. I, I do agree, and it's weird when we think about just like again this level of interconnectivity, as amazing as it is, and a whole lot of good has come of it. No mm. one's arguing against that. There's so much that we've gotten out of the internet that is very, very positive. 
But the negative stuff is not being addressed as well as it could have, and we really need to be cognizant of how new it is and how much we can evolve it or retract it if we need to, because it's really new. Yeah. In, in this grand scheme of human things, <laughs> really new. So it's fair to criticize and it's fair to ask yeah. serious, serious questions. It sounds like the movie is a mixed bag. It's, it's a mixed bag. All, all of the reenactment stuff is unbelievably corny, but the, this is a conversation we do need to have. So it's kind of couched yeah. in this movie. I feel like they had only about 40 minutes of film. So they decided to pad it out because at the yeah. end of the day, it's only 89 minutes. Mm. Uh, and like you don't, half of it is reenactment. Yeah. About half of it is oh, reenactment. That's, that's yeah. Ridiculous. So it's, Come it's, on. it's pretty, you uh, made a short, they made a sh- they, they, you made a short, but film. they made a very good short and they just kind of wrecked it, it by putting it, yeah, eh, to, to turn it into this feature. That's a shame. Um, all right. Well, this is actually an interesting segue to a new Korean horror film, mm-hmm. uh, called hashtag alive. Hashtag is not spelled out. It's just the pound yeah. sign on your phone. I'm not sure when that became hashtag in the lexicon, but it did. It's, it's the best part of the movie uh, Olympus Has Fallen. When uh, uh, Gerard Butler, who has just killed like every single human being in the film, <laughs> except for Aaron Eckhart and Melissa Leo, and uh, he's got to punch in like a key code in order to stop World War 3 and he's only got like 10 seconds to do it mm. and he's on the phone with some tech guys the tech guys are telling him the number like okay so it's 4 mm. backslash 9 G hashtag what the fuck is a hashtag says an American Gerard Butler yeah <laughs> but it's funny because like yeah when did that happen when did we get hashtag but it's mm. called hashtag alive and it is a zombie story, but with a distinctive storytelling angle that actually really works. Mm. And this is one of the best zombie movies I've seen in quite a long time. Okay. Uh, it is a story of a young man. He wakes up in the morning. His parents are out. They tell him, we are out of food. Please go to the market. He doesn't go to the market. He plays video games. A couple hours later, he realizes that the zombie apocalypse has started happening outside. Okay. He's all alone in his apartment. And mm. he has to close the door. His parents tell him, we can't get home, we love you, stay alive. Hmm. And now he's stuck there for weeks, if not months. And it's just him isolating in his apartment while a horde of zombies are outside with an infectious plague, trying to make do by making vlogs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he realizes that he yeah. really, really, really shouldn't have put off his chores. Like if he had mm. stocked up on food, he would be, he might live longer <laughs> yeah, yeah. because now he, and we all remember what this was like, like in March yeah. when there was like a run on everything and there was a solid like two months. Like pe- people were hoarding stuff. So yeah. it was hard to get like you toilet couldn't, paper. Toilet yeah. paper was non-existent in Southern California for mm. nearly two months. Like, I'm so glad. I wasn't even, like, stocking up. I just bought a big thing of toilet paper. Mm. And thank God I did. Because it would have been bad. But, yeah. So, it's actually... it's I, I, Clearly, this film was, like, made before COVID. Because mm. um, it's filmed in such a way there's a lot of zombie hordes. It wouldn't have been safe to shoot it. So, I don't know when it filmed. But I'm betting mm. it was before COVID. But it is eerily prescient. Mm. In the way that it handles a zombie apocalypse. The way that we're kind of living now. And hmm. that's very effective, and it's interesting to see a story of isolation. Of someone... Was this made since lockdown? No, no, no I don't think so, but it was right. like, I think it was just on the mind. Uh-huh. Like, if you would just, in the very few scenes in hmm. which he has to venture outside of his apartment, hmm. um, 
if he'd been wearing a mask, like that would have been the only thing that I think they would have done differently because the movie would have worked mm. really well. There's like, the, and there's like really harrowing moments where he's like, he got a he got a call from his parents, mm. and he can't listen to the voicemail because he doesn't get reception because he's in like his big apartment tower. So he's mm. got to like. I don't know if he's got like one of those uh, I can't remember if he has a golf club or if he has like mm. one of those uh, selfie sticks so he's like on his balcony leaning out the balcony mm. like four feet extending that into the air trying to hear the last words of his parents and it's like <laughs> oh Jesus fucking Christ and it's but it's so good like it's mm. such a unique it's just such a unique way of telling the story and it's just updating it to the present in yeah. the way that we use mm. I mean it's not like full mm. of like tech stuff like sneakers or something mm. but he is trying to find ways to like send out signals to, to get help and he's like oh oh, this is great so I've got a radio and I know enough about technology mm. that I can put all this stuff together except all of my tech is currently wireless and there's no way to connect them <laughs> damn <laughs> It's, it's really spot on. Um, the protagonist is, he's not smart. Mm. He's not stupid, but he's not like a genius in waiting who's been waiting for his moment to shine. Yeah, He's got some skills. He knows tech stuff. He's a gamer and he's actually like, he, there's a bit where he like equates having to like sneak into other apartments to see if there are other supplies that will keep him alive to like farming things in video games. And All so right. like th there's that corollary there, but he's not a super genius. He makes decisions that I think are logical, which is always good in like a survival story when yeah. like, cause you're thinking to yourself, how would I survive? Mm -hmm. He does things that I would do. He does a few things that I wouldn't do, but I believe that he would do them even yeah. though they're not, they're not necessarily in the interest of his mm. safety, but I believe that this matters enough to him right now that he would do it. Mm. And that's really hard to pull off. So he's a good, interesting, likable protagonist. The story goes in some unexpected directions that I'm not going to ruin for you here. Like the last act kind of arguably doesn't really fit the overall theme of the film, but it was really scary. So mm. I'm not going to complain too much about it. And maybe if I rewatch this, I'll pick up some important parallel I missed, mm. but um, but yeah, it's just, it's about survival. It is about treating the zombie apocalypse the way a plague works in the present day, mm. which is we don't all run to shelters and shit. Everyone stays right where the fuck they are. Yeah. yeah. Like that's something that is just a new thing that we all accept as a reality now for when there's a plague. And this is a film that handles that really well. It's scary. It's funny. It's smart. It's really fucking good. It is on Netflix Please see hashtag alive. I think you're really gonna like it. Okay. So I just I pleasant like I just like I knew this this I, it looked interesting and I hoped it wouldn't suck because we've seen mm. so many bad tech thrillers and movies that yeah. are trying to be so contemporary and yeah this would be like a great double feature with host. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really like loved host. So the horror movies that speak the, any, to this moment we're in right now. Yeah. yeah. These are this is a wonderful double feature. One day like it would be really good to look at these two. And again, host was made in COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm 90% sure uh, this uh, uh, hashtag alive was made before it, although it was released in Korea in June, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, they're, they're really spot on. So I highly recommend it. Check it out. Excellent. Awesome. And then you have one more film. I do. I saw Unpregnant, okay. uh, which is on HBO okay. or rather Ooh, HBO Max. Um, Unpregnant is a road comedy, very reminiscent of book smart. 
okay, it, that, that's that's a good comparison. It, well, that makes it, me interested. It, it's a good comparison, but I'm just talking about its structure. They're um. just structurally similar. Uh, it stars Haley Lee Richardson, who was in uh, Splice and some mm. other thing, or not Splice, a Split, and a few other oh, things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she plays her high school. She's 17. She plays her high school's sort of golden champion. She hangs out with all of the popular girls, and she she's pregnant. Oh. She takes a pregnancy test at school, and she finds that she's pregnant. Oh. And because she's uh, so determined to keep this a secret and to uh, it, and she, she wants to take care of it herself. She wants to get an abortion. Okay. Uh, she tells her boyfriend her boyfriend is completely not understanding about this. Like, he's not mean. He actually wants to marry her. Oh, and say, okay. he wants, I want to do the honorable thing. I want to marry you. He's like, no, you're, That's I'm not, not what I, I'm, I don't want that from you. This. I don't want you to be a father. I don't want to stay together. In fact, we were going to break up after high school. So no, Mm -hmm. this is not going to happen. Okay. Uh, She lives in Missouri and the closest abortion clinic is in Albuquerque. Okay. So because of uh, this, the state of America right now, that's the closest abortion clinic she can go to that she can, where she can get an abortion without parental consent. Because if you're not, if you're not aware of this, even Mm -hmm. though that the Supreme court uh, uh, with Roe v. Wade, uh, said that abortion is legal mm. in America. Uh, there has been so many attempts by conservatives to regulate uh, abortion mm. clinics that it's actually there are many places in this country, many states that, due to the yeah. absolute arcane laws that are involved, they only have like one or two. And yeah, like, there's like yeah. one one in the entire state, and yeah. uh, there's all these new requirements. Oh, and you you actually have to look at an ultrasound before <sighs> you 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 can get an abortion. There's all these like vans that drive around, supposedly like educational vans that teach you about mm-hmm. abortion, but they're actually meant to discourage young women. One yeah. of those vans shows up in this movie, okay. driven by Brecken Meyer, who is a secret oh. secret abortion hater. And he's, is and, it like broadly have, comedic? It is. This okay. is like a road comedy, and she has to uh, reconnect with her ch- her childhood best friend, whom she had sort of a falling out with. They drifted apart. Yeah. Uh, where uh, and she is now, uh, you know, kind of punky. She's dyed her hair green. She's d- deep into like gaming, and she's gay. Okay. And uh, that's not one of the reasons they drifted apart. It's just <laughs> that that's the that, character. That's a descriptor. Yeah. You, that tells you more. And. About uh, and yeah, she says, I, I know we haven't talked in a long time. We had this sort of falling out, but I need you to drive me to Albuquerque. And what transpires is something that is halfway between the very emotional Frank Booksmart and something really madcap like Vacation, mm. where, you know, oh, no, now there's cops on our tail. We'll just jump on a train. And now we're being chased by Brecken Meyer in an RV with a big baby on the front. And <laughs> there is scenes where it feels like I'm watching Rat Race almost. Uh, was Brecken Meyer in Rat Race? He was. OK, there you go. Yeah, he yeah. was. He, he was he was, for lack of a better term in that movie, the straight man. But uh, underrated comedy Rat Race. I really liked Rat Race. It, it's a ripoff of it's a, of it's a Mad 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 World. It's also a good ripoff. It, it, of it's no, a mad, no, it is in a genre with a mad, it's a Mad okay. Mad 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 World. I think it's a Mad 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 World invented that genre indeed, as we know indeed. it. And as but, a result, you know, there's, there's also things like The Great Race and Midnight Madness and other other films of that ilk. And I think some of them follow the formula more closely yeah, than others. Uh, million Dollar Mystery, etc. I, I, I love all madness. these. Okay, I love all these movies, by the way. I, I love that genre. That ch- madcap chase. Okay, okay. Here's the real test. It's yeah, million dollar mystery. Mm. 
I said you, I said million dollar mystery, and you love million dollar mystery. Uh, no, actually, I don't love million dollar. No mystery, one loves million dollar mystery. <laughs> I appreciate million dollar mystery, but I don't like it. I respect the existence of million yeah. dollar mystery. Million dollar mystery was a was one of those like everyone's running around trying to find clues and money thing. Except the gimmick of the film was they actually hid money in America, and you're supposed to like watch the movie and find the real money. And, um, and that money is still out there somewhere. I know, I know. No one cares. <laughs> to, to, to this day, there's a Greyhound station in Tacoma, Washington that still has <laughs> a suitcase with a million dollars cash in it. That's why it sounds like a fun pitch for a movie. <laughs> oh, like a failed film promo is yeah. like, that's the treasure. Yeah, but now the thing that was in the failed film yeah. promo was actually like super valuable. Yeah, there you go. That's actually not bad. <laughs> we, we found, look, I, th- I have a line on the missing Krull van. <laughs> We have to find the one person who had a crawl themed wedding. <laughs> and track it track down the crawl van. If you remember Because what's in the crawl van? Well, of course, gold. I don't know. It's, it's the glaive, but the glaive gold, is made out of real glow. It's, uh, it's, real gold. Real gold. Uh, real yeah. glow. <laughs> Real glow. If you if you ever saw the movie Crawl, mm. which I actually recommend you do, it's kind of fun and weird, mm. even though it's not good. Yeah. Um, it's this weird Star Wars mm. knockoff set on mm. an alien planet full of cyclopses and yeah. fire horses. And, <laughs> and um, but um, it, it didn't take off. It wasn't a hit. It's mm. actually kind of fun, but it was not popular. Yeah. And but they thought it would be. Obviously, they thought it was going to be a big smash success and they were going to sell a lot of toys. And they had a marketing tie-in where you could win a Krull-themed wedding. <laughs> it's a real thing. We would, If anyone knows... Before the movie came out. Oh, like yeah. It, no one knew if they liked Krull or not. That's the, You had to commit. Uh, imagine... I'm trying to think of like a movie. Like Imagine if Disney... Well, this is kind of that's kind of a bad example because John Carter was a real thing. But like, hmm. imagine if Disney was selling John Carter-themed weddings. Like before, yeah, yeah. before they had seen John Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't know if you actually like the movie or not. Mm. Oh, Maybe it's not a perfect example. A wedding is a big part of the movie Krull, but it is. you didn't necessarily know that yet. Yeah, it's super weird. The, yeah. If anyone knows anyone who had those Krull-themed weddings, it is our understanding that they did take place. There's a photo of them online somewhere. Yeah. So if, yeah, th- if, these, they're, they're real. If you know someone or know someone who knows mm. someone or know someone who knows someone who heard of a guy in their town who might know someone who had mm. a Krull-themed wedding, the official Krull themed wedding please let us know we want to interview them mm. we will do a whole podcast where we just do nothing but interview the people who'd had a Krull themed wedding this sounds like a documentary like if they filmed it <laughs> what an amazing film this is two golden movie pitches mm. we've just come up with we're just giving away millions of dollars <laughs> This is our million dollars. Just s- send us send us checks if you use these ideas. Anyway, we digress. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it's it's a little too madcap for you to really get into the emotional heart of this thing. Uh, it is you know a comment on how abortion is uh, frustratingly unavailable in this country, mm. uh, and how young girls are forced to go through all of these humiliating trials just to take care of their own bodies. Yeah. Uh, and, and I appreciate all of that stuff. Um, and I appreciate how that these two friends are learning to reconnect again. I thought there was a really cute scene where, uh, the, uh, the lesbian character has to cut, like she, she's sort of eyeballing a, another woman and her best friend is noticed. And she's trying to get her to come out in this really kind of roundabout way. It's like, so are we talking about, and they're at a carnival, about the tilter. So you're afraid of uh, talking about the tilt-a-whirl? Do you like the tilt-a-whirl? 
the lesbian turns to her and says, okay, I like girls. Like, <laughs> it's like let's just un- undercut this stupid game you're playing right away. Because I've yeah. seen that scene in so many movies. Yeah. That was a little refreshing. Okay. Uh, on the whole, it's pretty average. Mm. Uh, the, the madcap stuff never reaches a kind of frenzied peak. Mm. And as such, the emotional stuff doesn't either. Yeah, you need, yeah. You need something like that to build. Mm. I just realized this is directed by Rachel Lee Goldenberg. Who yeah, I don't, also, I don't know who Rachel Lee Goldenberg is. She also is. directed one of the most interesting mm. TV movies of the 2010s, uh, A Deadly Adoption. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in in 2015, uh, Lifetime had like a big anniversary. And, you know, everyone knows the Lifetime original movies, many of them. They're, they're all TV movies. Most of them are very cheap. And mm-hmm. occasionally they'll do a big like celebrity biopic like the Elizabeth Taylor story starring Lindsay Lohan. But the vast majority of the stuff they do is kind of thriller scare films for moms about how like if you let your kids use the internet, they're going to get murdered. <laughs> or like... If your husband goes away on vacation or something, he's going to fall in love with someone who will stalk your family and they'll murder you. Right, like, right. That kind of stuff. And so they wanted to do a big film to celebrate that. And the, their big idea, and it's kind of fascinating, was to do a Lifetime original movie hmm. exactly the same way they would normally do it. <laughs> except the two leads are Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig. It's not a comedy. Or at least it's kind of a comedy in its construct because there's this weird cognitive dissonance where you keep expecting Will Ferrell and and Kristen Wiig to like play it funny, do, do something. Out of, the only the but only they don't. Yeah, the only clue is the beard. Like he, uh, Will Ferrell grew like this kind of Bob Ross look, yeah. which looks really and it's a, but it's set in the present, so it looks really absurd. And that's like the only absurd thing that he does. Yeah, the, the only absurd thing is the casting, and the casting isn't that mm. absurd because they're actually kind of good at it. Yeah. But it's all about like this family, like they're they're going to adopt a pregnant woman's baby, and they agree to have her like stay with the family until she actually gives birth. And it mm. turns out he was an author, and she's actually just stalking him, and maybe she's not even really pregnant. And it's quite bad, mm. <laughs> but it's also exactly what it's trying to be. Mm. So it's also good. It's a weird film, mm. and it's, it's just, <laughs> I, I kind of recommend seeing it just because it's it's odd, but it's also not amazing. I don't know. It's weird. So this is an interesting filmmaker. Hmm. I think that's that she, they. Uh, <laughs> she she walked a very interesting tightrope with that film. So uh, yeah, I'm curious to see this movie as well. Um, so uh, okay, let's review these movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the critically acclaimed scale goes from C minus. It's the lowest grade we give. It is below average. Either we just don't recommend it, or it's the worst thing ever, or anywhere in between. We could also give a movie a C, which is average. Mm. Some movies are more average than others, but most movies fall into the, uh, yeah, it's got its good points and its bad points. Mm. And then, of course, there's C+, which is above average, which is everything from we genuinely recommend it to this is the best movie we've ever seen mm. and everywhere in between. Uh, where does Unpregnant fall? It's a C. Okay. It's a C, yeah. There, there's there's a lot of good stuff in it, and I do, do like uh, the two leads, but... Ultimately, it does. It doesn't quite reach the highs it's going for. Um, hashtag alive. I am giving a resounding C plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's going to have my best films of the year list or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it is very refreshing, very smart, uh, a good take on a familiar genre, mm-hmm. and uh, I really got swept up in it. I think you're really going to dig it. 
Um, mm. And then um, social media movie of <laughs> it's called the, the social week. dilemma. The social uh, dilemma. The social dilemma uh, is a, also a C. Yeah, the the documentary is good. The fictional parts are unnecessary and dumb. Okay, and make it seem everything that the the interviewers are saying kind of kind of corny or yeah. kind of scare so filmy. Literally, literally half kind of alarmist. Half. Yeah, yep. it is it, very very literally half and half. Uh, and then finally, cuties. Uh, Cuties, I give a C plus. Okay. I think this is a, a very like a, the, to repeat words, a frank and earnest ways of talking about a very sensitive topic, but I think with a lot of uh, knowing intelligence. Great. Okay, uh, so that is it for the new releases. Now it's on to the critically acclaimed streaming club. Mm-hmm. Once again, over at Patreon.com/slash/CriticallyAcclaimedNetwork, every single week we are inviting our patrons to vote for an older film of some significance or note uh, that uh, either Whitney or myself or neither of us have ever mm. seen. And in this case, uh, you voted for, currently playing on Netflix, All Dogs Go to Heaven, directed by Don Bluth. It's an animated film featuring the voices of Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. And uh, I saw this movie when it came out in theaters, but i honestly not 100% sure I've seen it since. Okay. I think maybe I rented it when it came out like initially. Mm. and So it's been about 30-ish years. Since I've seen this movie, and you have never seen this movie, I, yeah, I never. This one passed me by. I'm really, really curious for your take on this film because I think this is one of Don Bluth's more interesting movies, better for better or worse. Uh, well, it's it's a very odd film. Uh, Don Bluth uh, is f- famed animator. You've listed some of his credits earlier. Uh, started his career as a Disney animator, and from what I understand, was so frustrated by the house style. Yeah. And this insistence that things remain really kind of round and soft and friendly for kids. Uh, and he was not uh, permitted to tell the kind of stories he wanted to tell, which had maybe a little bit more grit in them. Yeah. As evidenced in something like All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, I really love An American Tale. I love Secret of Nim. I don't love this one. Okay. Uh, because it, it has a, such a strange premise. It's about an underworld of talking dogs. Mm-hmm. Not upright anthropomorphic dogs they're dogs but they speak english and they some of them wear clothes they, some of them wear clothes and they also have their own society yeah specifically they have their own gambling culture mm-hmm. and the main character charlie is the one played by burt reynolds who is giving a really weird voice performance yeah like he's really laid back like he, he doesn't seem to know that he's in a recording booth he's probably doing a lot of physical stuff in the booth that mm-hmm. they just didn't animate it was my, it's uh, my understanding that especially when he was on screen mm-hmm. with uh, dom DeLuise, they let them ad lib a lot Makes sense. Th- yeah. Those two could probably just add a little bold. They've been working together, I think, since at least Silent Movie, mm-hmm. and they have such a good rapport. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I think that's a talent of Dom DeLuise. He sure. just can, he fits with most performers. But I, I think I think Dom DeLuise and uh, Burt Reynolds was always a good fit. He had this. Yeah. It was like it was like Martin and Lewis. He's this really cool, suave, sophisticated straight mm-hmm. man, and Dom DeLuise is this really farcical, broad comedian, and they worked really well together. And yeah. most of their films together are really good, and some of them are. Smoking in the Bandit 2. Uh, yeah, don't see Smoking in the Bandit 2 it's under, not good. under many circumstances. Yeah. Or, or uh, three. But or in, four. In this. Uh, or five. G- g- or, or six. six. <laughs> There's a lot of Smoking in the Bandit movies that we do not talk about them all. No, no, no. There were, yeah, there were four in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, nobody talks about those. Yeah, from the director of the original, at least one of them was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hal Needham. Yeah, uh, he did at least one of them, I think. Uh, but. Uh, 
in in this dog underground, Charlie has just broken out of prison and is going back to his the casino that he once owned, which is now owned by a dog named what is it, Carface? Carface. Carface. Which is which is obviously a takeoff of Scarface. And mm. I remember like, oh yeah, his name's Carface. And I was like, does he have like a mm. grill or something? Uh. Like, is there something about him that it reads car? No. No. He he's a dog. Yeah. He's like a Although, he's like a French bulldog. But yeah, they, they have access to buildings and gambling spaces. Uh, Carface has taken over all of his old casinos. He wants to take, now that he's out of prison again, wants to take his business back. That leads to bad blood amidst, amidst the dog underworld. What? That, that have like real estate deals and are shaking down businesses for quarters. What are they doing? No, <laughs> dog underworld. This weirds you out? Uh, like we have talking animals in so many things. Of course I, I they have a society. It, it's, it's weird that it's the human world that they're operating in though. That's, yeah. that's the odd thing I find. Like fish police, I buy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the fact that there is an underground like subculture mm. in, within the world in which we live in which dogs have like in a junkyard somewhere mm. like a big building where they all gamble for like meat that they've found. Mm. And and the the higher the bet the better the meat. Yeah. And if it's a really low bet it's like rotten meat. Yeah. It's a little bizarre. It's bizarre. Uh point is Carface ends up murdering Charlie. Yeah. Murder. By- <laughs> This is like the first major plot point of the movie. He murders Burt Reynolds. And he doesn't do something like light, like poison him. No, or like it's drop really him, or drop an anvil yeah. on him. Like, no, he like gets Charlie drunk, hmm. puts him at the end of a pier, and rolls a car over him. And his friend, Dom DeLuise, he's like, he's itchy or something is his name. Hmm. He's like, no! And then there's this sudden rush of light, like at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm. and now Burt Reynolds' dog is dead and in heaven. Yeah. With he, a whippet angel. There's a, an angel that's a whippet, and... Uh, I think she's played by Lonnie Anderson, actually. I, I don't think that... One of the... Lonnie Anderson is in the Lonnie movie, Anderson, but, uh, I thought it was the whippet. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's in the afterlife. They sing a song about being dead. Yeah. And he's in heaven because all dogs go to heaven, even though he's kind of a bastard. The uh, the idea is that uh, unlike humans, dogs are inherently good. And this angel whippet character, she uh, she actually has the book of his life. And she's reading over and like, oh, well, that's not good. That's not Ooh, good. That's I know there's going to be something good in here somewhere. Yeah. And she shows him like he doesn't believe that he's dead. And she shows him the watch that was mm. his life. And you see it is stopped. And he's like, well, why can't I just wind it up again? And she's like, you can't do that. And he's like. Watch Why? me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he, what he does is he sings a song about how heaven sounds boring, mm. and she does a duet with him about how it's actually quite nice. And this is Burt Reynolds. Uh, he cannot sing. Mm. He can charm his way through it. He's likable enough, but let's not pretend he can sing. Yeah. Um. And uh, he, uh, while he, she is distracted, he winds up the watch, and she is horrified mm. because now. Now that he's back on Earth, he's got this watch. It's like his soul, like in a locket around his neck. And if that watch stops, not only will he die again, but he'll be the first dog to go to hell. Oh, so that's the that's, plot. That's the premise of the movie. Wait, it gets weirder. It gets weirder because he reconnects with Itchy, and they discover the secret of Carface's gambling empire. Yeah, Charlie's uh, like he runs. Hey, I, I was always the brains of the operation. Mm. How did he make more money while I was yeah. in prison? That doesn't make any sense. Because one of the features of the dog casino is rat races. Yeah. and like uh, Rats literally running around yeah, in a race. Yeah. Uh, that's not another another reference to the movie Rat Race. Uh, they, uh, 
they find that Carface has kidnapped an orphan girl. Who's human. Like, ma- human orphan girl who's like six or seven years old. Her name is Anne-Marie. And, and she has Dr. Doolittle powers. She can talk to the animals. This is why she can communicate with the dogs. And yeah. But she can also communicate with rats, horses, however, anything really. However, like, horses and dogs cannot communicate. And rats and dogs cannot communicate. Except the horses seem to understand when they're being insulted by dogs. And humans as well. It's so, weird. <laughs> the, the actual way the translations work in this movie is a little odd. Oh, God, what a strange fellow. So, <laughs> Gets weirder. Kidna- so Charlie decides to kidnap this young girl, uh-huh. promise her parents in exchange for her Dr. Doolittle powers so he can cheat at races and earn a lot of money. And he promises... And, do- and dogs buy stuff as well, like human, use yeah. human dollars to buy Yeah, things. he needs money to start his own casino hmm. to to compete against Carface. So he <laughs> tells her... This- no rule says a dog can't open a casino. I suppose that's true. He tells her the story of Robin Hood uh, in order to convince her that stealing can be good under certain circumstances mm. and promises that this money that we're stealing and when you talk to these horses and tell us who's going to win this race so we can bet on it, I... Uh, we will give the money to the poor. Yeah. They do not give that money to the poor. <laughs> they just take that money and start a big ass casino. And she's mad and they have a falling out and stuff. And she starts realizing that Charlie is not a good person slash dog. Mm-hmm. And, and Charlie starts having nightmares about going to hell. And- yeah. And uh, he starts begrudgingly realizing that he actually really likes Anne-Marie and he's starting to look upon her in a fatherly way. And so when Carface tries to kidnap her back, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to skip over some stuff that we do need to talk about later, but I'm just going to walk you through the movie. Carface tries to kidnap her back. Charlie tries to get her back. And in the end, he has a choice of saving the girl or getting his watch back. And he and decides he to save the girl, the girl and risk going to hell, and that redeems his soul, and he is able to go to heaven. Uh, there's a good moral fable in there. I actually really like how weirdly dark this movie is, because it's a movie about sin. Yeah. It's a movie about vice. It's a movie about gambling and kidnapping and thievery and alcoholism. And there's a whole bit where... Uh, um, Carface has an assassin named Killer, played by Charles Nelson Riley, which is amazing <laughs> casting, by the way. And Killer has a gun. He calls it a Flash Gordon laser gun. And I suspect that that was a studio note, because when we see that gun, it's just a Tommy gun. And they ma- it makes laser noises, and I think they did that in post, because maybe they were going to get like a PG-13, for having cartoon dogs take a realistic human gun mm. and shoot at a nine-year-old girl with it, <laughs> which is like really messed mm. up. Yeah, that's one of, I think that's one of the reasons they changed the, the, na- the word child into younglings in the script for one of the Star Wars movies. Because they're all going to get brutally yeah, murdered So you here, can't yeah. say killed children you have to say oh, murdered the youngling and apparently like this the dream sequence where charlie imagines what hell is going to be like for him which scared the shit out of me when i was a kid it's really dark mm-hmm. apparently that was much longer and okay. they did cut that down and uh, apparently don bluth has or had a print of it and maybe one day we'll get to see it and i'd be very fascinated um there's also uh, an a, alligator yeah really weird <laughs> it's, it's it's the pink elephants on parade moment mm, well, uh, just it's actually in, considered, in that 
in that it, it's just a, a surreal out of left field sequence in a film that doesn't match the film around. There's it. actually a trope named after this. It's mm. called the big lipped alligator moment. And oh, I, I remember when, yeah. when this originated. And... But the idea is it's a scene in a movie that comes out of nowhere, is totally different from anything else, mm. and doesn't connect to anything. It just yeah. sort of sits there and you're like, what? Mm. Like one could argue uh, that the whole uh, gotta dance sequence in Singing in the Rain. Is a oh, big yeah, yeah. alligator moment because it's neat in itself in a vacuum, but mm. kind of stops the movie dead and yeah. it doesn't really it te- it technically connects to what they're doing, mm. but only in theory. And if you took it out of the movie, you would never know it was missing. Ironically, this is not a big lipped alligator moment because in the end, the alligator saves Charlie and ends up eating Carface. That's right. So it's technically comes back later, but it's this. Weird bit where they're on the run from Carface, they fall into like a sinkhole, and they are kidnapped by are they mice? What are um, the what are the what are the weird worshippers they're, of the alligator? They're I think they're rats. They're like rats, mm. but they're rats in these really frankly offensive like headhunter garbs. Yeah, and they're it's like worshiping something, the alligator. Out of a Tarzan film from the thirties. Yeah, and they're worshiping the alligator and the alligator is big into singing and when he hears Burt Reynolds sing, he's so enchanted he can't kill him, mm. which is another reason why this scene doesn't work because Burt Reynolds can't sing. But look, we've seen At Long Last Love. Yeah. We I, know. I've right? seen it twice and I wish I hadn't. Mm. He cannot I, I like him a lot. I think Burt Reynolds is a wonderfully charming actor. Yeah. He can he can walk he can charm his way through a song. He can't actually sing it that good. Mm. I'm fine with that, but and, uh, let's, let's stop pretending he's good at it. Okay, like mm. we don't need to make it into a plot point. <laughs> Sounds like it's in his contract. If I'm going to sing musical numbers, someone has to tell me I have the most heavenly voice they've ever heard. Bert, we can't pay you that much. Like it's it's an unreasonable. Is, oh yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. Can. yeah. No, it's, it's okay. what, what if I just give you an extra million? No, I want the. God damn it, Bert. need the dialogue. We're going to have to add an alligator to this uh, movie. The alligator is played by Ken Page, who ended, uh, who played Oogie Boogie in The Night yeah. Before Christmas. Yeah, amazing voice. And, and yeah, he's yeah. a big Broadway star. Yeah. The most amazing voice in the movie is actually Vic Tabak, who plays Carface. And uh, Vic Tabak, character actor par excellence, uh, died not very long after this movie came out. Someone mm-hmm. who may not know his name. But he has this amazing gravelly voice. Like, just absolutely like heavenly mm. evil voice like what an incredible performance just to hear him talk mm. like i like they all have that whole thing mm. like i would pay to hear yeah. them read the phone book i actually would for vic tayback <laughs> astoundingly fascinating to listen to what great casting um oh. Anne marie is played by a young actress named judith barcy and I, I remember when this story broke, actually. Judith Barcy, Barcy tragically died, like really, really tragically died at the mm. age of 10. Very, very shortly after and this in, movie was... In, in a, yeah. a family-related violent crime. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, she she had a very, very short career. She actually had 25 credits somehow, like mostly mm. TV, but uh, she was in Jaws the Revenge. She was uh, Ducky in Land Before Time, so Don Bluth had worked with her before. And there's... Uh, a song that she's her character sings in this movie that apparently Judith Barcy couldn't get through because it's about family mm-hmm. and her own family was going through something really this horrifying young, and her, she couldn't get through the song so they had to get someone else to dub wow. it. And that poor child. I know, and it's really, really, really horrifying. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Don Bluth is apparently devastated by this, as I'm mm. sure everyone was. And um, and she's wonderful. She gives a wonderful vocal performance. Yeah, Anne Marie's yeah. a fun character. She's very heavily inspired by Shirley Temple. Um, very sprightly, yeah. uh, energetic, mm. precocious without being like implausible mm. child. Like she's still young and uh, you know easily misled by Charlie, but she's very moral yeah. and she knows what she's doing and she's clever in her own way. And she's just a really, really wonderful character. But damn, this movie is weird. It's it's a it's an odd duck, isn't it? Yeah, gorgeously animated. Well, I appreciate that Don Bluth is really trying to think outside the box. That mm-hmm. he if his mission statement was to do something different from Disney, he totally succeeded. Yeah. I'm not sure if this works though. It's uh, it's clunky. It's because like a lot yeah. of his other things were well, it's, like it's have paced a... really weird. Is the yeah. thing the plot points come at strange po- like you'd think mm-hmm. if this is about a dog going to heaven and coming back, the death would happen like almost right away, like earlier in the film mm-hmm. than it does. It takes it takes a bit. This is actually like mm-hmm. an hour and a half, kind of long for uh, a, an animated movie of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hour and twenty four minutes, but still pretty long for an animated mm-hmm. movie of the era. Um, yeah, that that part is weird. It feels like it's a bunch of different ideas for different movies yeah, kind of yeah. jammed together. Like, uh, like the a dog gambling story is an interesting enough movie, isn't it? Yeah, but then you add this whole kidnapping story and you had the whole heaven story mm-hmm. and it's just kind of clunky. When you look at a lot of other Don Blues stuff and a lot of them are based on other things, but some of them aren't. Mm. They tend to be more focused. Secret of Nim is about a mom trying to protect her children mm. in an unthinkable situation. Yeah. And that's where all the drama comes from. So even though there are also magic sci-fi rats, mm. they're all wrapped around this one thing that we can totally get behind and believe. Mm. Land Before Time. It's about kids who are on their own in a disaster who are trying to save themselves and hopefully find their parents. Mm. Functional. Saint American Tale works kind of the same way, mm. uh, but it's also an immigrant story, and that gives us something that really grounds it. Here, Charlie is clearly like the protagonist here, and this kind of Damon Runyon. He's a bad guy, but he's not a really bad guy kind of way. <laughs> but love, lovable rapscallion. Yeah, and I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, but he's also a massive dick. Like they're not afraid to make Charlie a really all, bad person a lot of the time, and, and it's uh, in in that regard. Burt Reynolds is good casting. Yeah. Because he's good at playing those sort of scoundrel characters. You get it from his voice immediately. And, and, and But he can play an absolute scoundrel. Someone who mm. will say terrible, hurtful things about someone, but you don't hate him. Yeah. And that's a, that's magic. You cannot buy that. Like, that's, that's something, if an mm. actor can do that, yeah. they will work forever. Mm. Because that's really, really hard for some people to pull off. And Burt mm. does it seemingly effortlessly. I don't know how difficult it was for him, but he makes it look easy. And that's really, really impressive. But this is such a hodgepodge of weird stuff. And I mm. and I and I, I want to get into a little bit more. The animation of this movie, I think, holds it all together. Yeah. This movie is astoundingly good to look at. It's really, really good and interesting character animation mm-hmm. more than anything else. Uh, just the the way the characters move and the expressions on their faces and the weird designs are really, really beautiful. They're they're often uh, like Disney animated characters are often very on model, and Don Bluth yeah. wasn't afraid to squash and stretch. And as a result, mm. his characters tend to be incredibly expressive. Yeah. And boy, is that true in this movie. Like, you can pick any character scene in this movie. Maybe not the alligator scene. But you can pick any character scene well, in this movie. it's a good it's character a, moment vacuum, as well. In a yeah. vacuum, it's fine. I just don't think it's an actual good scene. But, like, you look at any, like, bit of character animation in this movie mm. and you know everything the characters are about. Like, yeah. I- instantly. It's gorgeously presented. 
Absolutely. And, and, and the, uh, the attention to detail is astounding. There's like a disco ball that like in one scene, like it's just a dialogue scene. They didn't have to make it this complicated, but it's like shining beams of light on everything. And you realize yeah. that they couldn't do that. Like nowadays you do it with CG mm-hmm. and it would be difficult, but it would be relatively straightforward. Yeah. They had to really track like the depth of every piece of this 2D animation mm. and also make it look incredibly smooth. And they just, they pushed themselves to do things that really weren't necessary, but would make it look gorgeous. Yeah. And they well, did. And it's incredible. And I, as a, I also understand they, uh, there was some sort of new Technicolor process uh, that debuted with this film mm. uh, that allowed them to do some really interesting things with color. So it was, Colorful in a way that animated films hadn't been to up until that point. Mm-hmm. It's it just astoundingly mm-hmm. pretty. And may, maybe maybe one of Don Blue's prettiest movies, and that's saying something. But it's such a weird but film. It's, it's really bizarre. Like, like I'm, it's so mature. But it's childish and it's mature. And here's a song yeah. about puppies sharing pizza. And then yeah. here's the, uh, the subplot about kidnapping a child. It's really bizarre. <laughs> It's just so, so strange. There's some weird Disney riffs, too. Like, uh, Anne-Marie, like, gloms onto this one Mm. young couple, this young married couple. She sees at a racetrack. They steal the dude's wallet so they can bet on a horse. Mm. um, But Anne-Marie keeps running into them, and she wants them to be her parents. And it's all too easy, but whatever. It's very Fable-like. And... But you notice that the designs of those characters are pretty much taken from Disney. Like the, yeah, the, they look the, from uh, the 101 Dalmatians' parents. Uh, a special, bit, especially yeah. the dude does. The mom, I think, has a little bit more from Cinderella okay. than that than the the mom in um, 101 Dalmatians or the the wife. I guess I don't remember she has the baby in. No, she has a baby in that one, doesn't she? I, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> no, um, I'm thinking of Lady and the Tramp. No, okay. she, yeah, no, she she doesn't she she doesn't have a kid in Lady mm. in the 101 Dalmatians. They have too many puppies for that. Uh, but he's clearly like using Disney shorthands here, but he's using it for the implausible stuff. And what he's actually saying is that's a child's fantasy. Mm. What's real gambling, murder, vice, mm. hell. And you, you kind of got to love the moxie of this. You got to love just how huge a swing this is and how dark this movie is and how bizarre this movie is. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to sit myself down and watch All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, which has Charlie Sheen in the lead role. Um, and I've seen it. What? I, I was one of four people to see it in a theater. What? Oh, my God. I, it was one of those. It was when I was working at a movie. Th- it came out in 96. Yeah. And that's when I was working in movie theaters and I could see movies for free. So I just saw anything because yeah. I'm 17 and I have nothing better to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw All Dogs Go to Heaven 2 in theaters. Was it any good? I remember nothing. I don't remember <laughs> the. Pl- I remember one of like one of the songs, and that uh, Charlie wants to leave heaven because it's boring. Well, that was the plot of the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> heaven was but, not yeah, he's like, enticing. Like, to him. like he's in heaven, and everything's great because in this film, heaven is heaven for dogs, mm-hmm. and it's too heavenly. So now he wants to go back mm-hmm. to earth, and that's how it got started and I don't remember what happened after that. Don Bluth movies, it's weird because we like to think of them as these like really mm. uh you know auteur driven animated films and to some extent that they are, but mm. uh they have so many sequels that nobody talks about. The one that everyone knows is that there's like I think 14 or 15 Land Before Time movies. Yeah, there's a lot of those. There's about a dozen Air Bud slash Buddies movies at this point. Well, those aren't Don Bluth, but, but yeah. I mean, just kid movies in yeah, general. The, yeah, straight-to-video kids movies are big, big, 
big money, apparently. And there's like 14 Land Before Time movies. I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I did watch this really epic video Jenny Nicholson did about them oh, yeah. like earlier this year, and she, she really made them fun. So uh, could, I, I applaud anyone who will sit through like a 15-part straight-to-video series just to be the person who actually watched them because <laughs> someone needs to put that stuff in context. Um, I think there's only one All Dogs Go to Heaven two, uh, uh, sequel. There, apparently there's a couple of American Tale like straight-to-video sequels after Five yeah. Goes West. Okay. Um, and there was at least one animated sequel to Secret of Nim, which I haven't oh, seen. Oh, yeah, it's called Timmy's Rescue. I've, I've know enough about it. Hmm. I know like what happens in it. To be shocked and horrified that anyone made it. Because, boy, does it sound like they missed the point. One of these days I'll sit down and watch it. I might rip out my eyes if it's Mm -hmm. as bad as what I've read. Um, There was an All Dogs Go to Heaven TV series. There was. Oh, and there was an All Dogs Christmas Carol which actually that one makes sense. They're kind yeah. of supernatural morality tales anyway. So, so I guess there wasn't a, a, a sequel. Yeah. Uh, All that's going to have in the series was 41 episodes in three seasons. So last mm-hmm. weekend I do it on cancel too soon. Darn. <laughs> too bad. Darn it. It's out of our purview. What a, what a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like this movie. It's very weird. And, but I appreciate mm-hmm. weird animation geared towards kids and families because so much of the animation that, Americans get whether it's from Disney or mm. DreamWorks or whatever has a weird safeness to it. Yeah, and even when I mean, they do something daring, that daringness becomes safe. Like Shrek mm. seemed daring when it came out and it quickly became the new safe. Yeah. Well, and you read, that's not fun. You read the book and uh, that Shrek was based on and you realize that Shrek is actually like a much more revolting character. Yeah. No, they, they sanitized they turned him into yeah. an ice cream parlor. But like the whole uh, thing, like, oh, we're going to like beat up the... <laughs> These characters from a fairy tale, or we're gonna mm. punch out Robin Hood, and we're gonna bring pop culture references into fairy tales and do the Matrix. And boy, did that seem revolutionary at the time, and now it seems really quaint. <laughs> and uh, I think it's interesting that after all these years, Don Bluth was doing movies that still feel weird and renegade. Because <laughs> this yeah, movie yeah, came out now, it would be weird. It would be it, all yeah, we're talking about I mean, for like a month because it's make so a lot, bizarre. Make a lot of critics' lists just for being really unusual when uh, when the when it came, the original came out in 1989, some critics liked it, but it didn't get very good reviews generally. No, it was kind of seen as kind of a black sheep with the Don yeah. Bluth family, but it's, it's, it's hardly the worst movie he ever did. That's for sure. Mm. Um, I, I never saw like the pebble and the penguin or I, Troll in central, pa- central park. I saw some of troll in central park and I couldn't mm. get through it. <laughs> I did see set, Titan AE and I like Titan. Titan AE. fine. I think it relies a little too much on its yeah. like, Creed soundtrack or whatever. <laughs> it was a it was it was a different time. It was a different time, but by relying so much on pop music and some like nascent early like CG, mm. it it dated itself immediately. But as a sci fi story, it's actually pretty good. It's fun. Uh, but anyway, we're big we're big Don Bluth fans, and uh, I was very happy to see mm. that as odd as this one was, it basically holds up. Mm. And uh, again, it's on Netflix, so check it out. It's fun and weird. Uh, next time on critically acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing more movies because that's what we do. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's our beat. There's Go a back. new there's a new Antonio Campos movie uh, coming to Netflix starring Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, and like a whole hmm. bunch of other really famous people um, hmm. called The Devil All the Time, I think. And I'm yeah. really looking forward to that because I Antonio Campos did one of my favorite films of the last decade. It did Christine, so uh, cool. Hopefully he has another good one, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, and uh, 
other stuff as well. Mm. And the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, all of the nominees this time were films that were runners-up in previous polls, because we've been doing this for about six months now. Mm. Uh, and as of now, the poll is still running, but it looks pretty likely that we'll be talking about the original Cape Fear starring Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Uh, which I've seen and Whitney hasn't, and I haven't revisited in like 10 years, though, yeah, so that should be interesting fact, to watch. I've seen neither of the Cape Fears, as I'm gonna, much as that may shock I'm you. I'm going to try to force him to make the time to see Scorsese's as well, because I'm a huge fan of Scorsese's. Oh, I do want to see it. I, I, yeah. I'm not, it's just something that escaped my attention. It's not yeah. something I've been avoiding. Well, no one has time to see yeah. everything, but the important mm-hmm. thing is that we try. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, anyway, uh, so that's it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, or anything at all, really, issues involving the industry, film history, film recommendations, other stuff. People asked us about our favorite popsicles once, and that was grand. Anything at all, really. It's a wonderful letter. uh, You can email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We try to read as much as we can. We can't get to everything, but we do our best, and we'll read that on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail which is another podcast right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. And, of course, we have patreon.com slash Network with a ton of exclusive stuff. We have that new Last Jedi commentary track. Uh, we have upcoming episodes of Not on Disney+, Plus, where we're going to be reviewing the long-forgotten sequel to Old Yeller. Yeah, they did that. It's even older Yeller. <laughs> No, it's it's called Savage Sam. It's called Savage Sam. We're going to be doing that one soon. Uh, We've got uh, upcoming episodes of Only the Best, where we'll be reviewing uh, the other five uh, Best Picture nominees in 1939. Mm. We've already done the first five. Uh, We've got more uh, reviews of Star Trek, more reviews of the 1960s Batman series, and a ton more stuff besides. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please stay safe. Please stay sane. Uh, Please take care of each other. We're all that we've got. And uh, never forget, everyone is a critic. I'm sorry, what?